This is Bad Movies We Love, part of the Scheiss Podcast Network. Hello, Bad Movie Lovers. We're in for a treat today. It's a bonus episode. I think technically it's still going to be season two, episode 13, but that's lucky number 13 because today I brought back a guest for the first time, first repeat guest, joining us once again from the Scheist International Film Club and from our episode on Troll, you know him as Nick's Eclipse, and we're gathered today to talk about a Godzilla movie that is pretty polarizing. It's from 1971, and you might know it as Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster. You might know it as Godzilla vs. Hidora. Either way, you might want to grab a poncho or some galoshes, because we're going to team up with Godzilla as we fight pollution and save the Earth. I think there's a baby crying, like, in the middle of garbage. There's five old dudes just hanging out in the bushes. Mastodon, they have no idea what that means. Lines himself up to this smokestack, and he just starts going to town. I know a stoner when I see one, and Hidora is a stoner. I don't like this baby because it reminds me of drugs. Too many drugs. Blah. I can, I can never rely on these morons. He's like, no wonder they could never beat me in the past. Is this something about Satan or something? They usually do that. Frankenstein's Kampf gegen die Tufelmonster. It's afraid of fire. How do you know? It's spelled like Deborah. So maybe it is Hedora. The director, he was banned from directing after this movie. My man, Nix, welcome back to the show. We decided that we're going to do a special bonus episode of Bad Movies We Love for Kaijun. It wasn't really something that I had planned on, but, you know, in watching some of the older ones and just, you know, having fun filling my month with Godzilla movies from the 60s and 70s, I wanted to do it. So... I know we had talked about potentially doing a Godzilla's uh, film or a Godzilla theme for bad movies we love. And I think this is a really good opportunity to do it. So uh, thank you for joining me and welcome back to the show. I am so happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. And today we're we're talking about Godzilla versus Hedora or Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, however you came across it potentially in your youth or as an adult. Um, I was mostly familiar with the American version of this because I got a lot of these on VHS and what was it? AIP American international pictures that did the dubbing. 
Yes, this was a AIP. So that's that's probably the version that I had seen growing up many, many times. And it had been a long time since I'd seen this. And I think when I was a kid, it was one of my favorites because it is kind of like goofy and strange and dark. And it has like a different uh, musical element to it than a lot of the other Godzilla films as well. So it kind of like stood out and... You know, there's a there's a child who's kind of the main protagonist, but also like not exactly. But it's like it's kid friendly, but also it's socially conscious <laughs> in its approach to Godzilla battling pollution as a very literal metaphor. And then as I had gotten older and I had kind of like put a big gap between me watching some of the goofier stuff from that era. I feel like my memory of Smog Monster maybe didn't do it justice. And I see that it has a 6.0 out of 10 on IMDb, but there's only 6,000 ratings for this. So that's fairly small. So I'm curious... Why was it this one that you chose? And if you had to give us a summary of why someone would say this is a bad movie, why do you think that is? Yeah, this has always been like um, caused like a big division in in the Godzilla fanhood, especially back in the uh, early '90s. Over the years, it's kind of got gotten a a, a better um, you know people appreciate it a little more. Um, the reason I picked it is is pretty similar to you because I grew up watching this film. When uh, I grew, I'm old. Um, I grew up in the early '80s, and uh, we had a local television station, you know, Channel 11. And every Saturday at 11 o'clock, they would play a horror or sci-fi or a kaiju film from you know it could be the the 30s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. You never knew what was what was going to be playing. And uh, that's where I really first got introduced to Godzilla. And this was one of the first ones I, I, I saw. And I think what really turned me on to it was how dark it was. Because I've always been really into horror and stuff like that. And the majority of the fight scenes take place in the dark. And I, mm-hmm. I think that I think they look pretty gorgeous, actually. Um, but there also a lot of people die in this film. Like m- more than I'd, I'd ever think I'd seen in a Godzilla film. But uh, I like the design of Godzilla. I love the design of of, of Hedera or Hedora or however we want to say it. Um, never quite been sure myself. But I think the reason a lot of people don't like it is it is very bizarre. It's very psychedelic. Sometimes if you go in and, and you look at a uh, discussion underneath, a lot of people go, I don't like this movie because it reminds me of drugs. Too many drugs. Blah. But um, I thought that I think that's kind of its charm. Uh, plus, it's got all the animation that happens throughout there. Um, I find really kind of fascinating. And probably the main reason that most people don't like it. Um, well, I will touch on the music because you did mention that that the music was something that you enjoyed. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the new Godzilla theme. It's very goofy. It's very silly. But the, but the rest of the soundtrack is pretty good. And also most of the fights take place in silence, which is pretty cool. Um, But the main reason that most people are probably uh, dislike this uh, with a passion is because Godzilla flies. He (laughs) tucks his tail between his legs, fires up that atomic breath and flies across the countryside. That is (laughs) probably the main reason. 
That's surprising. I mean, it is definitely something that stands out because it's the only time that Godzilla flies and he uses his breath like, you know, propulsion system. And it kind of happens at a point in the movie where, you know, everything has been fairly serious. Like you said, a lot of people die in this movie. And I think we get accustomed to seeing large scale destruction. But you don't typically see just a bunch of dead bodies in a Godzilla film. And so as a kid, I always thought this was like on the goofier side. And then watching it as an adult, I'm like, okay, it's making this social commentary about this problem that was going on in Japan in the 70s. And you're actually, you know, killing on screen a bunch of people. And then in some cases, you know, transforming them into like burned victims of this uh, acid sludge or whatever. Hedora, it's spelled like Deborah, so maybe it is Hedora. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got you've got this sludge that sort of like burns everything that it touches, and it's kind of like Godzilla's not involved for a little bit, and they're sort of freaking out, and then he shows up. So I I don't know that I would necessarily be completely off put by him flying, but it does come out of nowhere and i don't know what number this is in the series but you're almost 20 years deep into godzilla at this point and he's never flown and the physics of it are sort of weird so it just looks a little goofy on screen and the idea that he flies faster than this creature that is aerodynamic and shaped sort of like a you know organic ufo he catches up to him with his breath and just sort of body slams him out of the air. So I could see it's like, okay, this is kind of like a dumb moment in the film. And maybe that turns people off. But overall, I think it's really not a bad movie at all. And I I feel like a little bit guilty for thinking that it was like on the, the bad spectrum to begin with, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I think you, you probably remembered a lot of the goofier stuff and the stuff with, by the way, the kid's name is actually Ken, which is a running joke with like mystery science theater and camera. You've got your Kenny's. This is the one Godzilla movie where you actually have a Ken, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, uh, the, actually the, um, the director, I, I don't have his name pulled up right now. Um, the director after Yoshimitsu Bano. Bono, yes. Bono was, uh, he was banned from directing after this movie. Uh, Tomoyuki Tanaka was in the hospital while it was being filmed, so he didn't really know what was going on. And uh, when he saw the finished product, he was like, yeah, that's it. You're, you're, you're." He took him off a bunch of projects he was supposed to direct on. He said, you're never doing this again. But uh, later on down the line, somehow uh, Bono was involved in helping create the MonsterVerse here with the uh, with the American versions, which is Good for him, man, because I love this movie. Yeah, it's it's so different. Um, and again, it's it, it's so dark. It it's got a lot of beautiful shots in it. A lot of things that don't make sense. You mentioned the sludge, you know, kills and, and burns everything, except that cat. <laughs> well, look, maybe the cat is also like some sort of special creature, because I mean, you have a cat, you know, and they're they're otherworldly to begin with. Cats are magic. <laughs> and you had mentioned uh Tanaka and that is Tomoyuki Tanaka and is was he the Toho head or was he was a producer of some kind yeah 
Yeah, I mean, he was basically in charge of of uh, all the Godzilla stuff, but uh, couldn't be there because he was in the hospital. So I know at one point they did bring in, um, I think towards the end of production, they did bring in uh, Ishiro Honda, who you know directed the more majority of the original films, mm-hmm. to give him some pointers on on how to uh, on how to maybe improve the film, and that may be why sometimes. Uh, some of the action scenes tend to gloss over some of the some of the stuff that would help it make more sense. I don't know how that happened. That that could have been Bano himself. Who knows? Yeah, Honda actually does have a directing credit, which is surprising because most of the notes about the film itself are strictly uh, relegated to Bono and whether or not Tanaka actually liked him or disliked him or thought the movie was a disaster, etc. And I read that there was initially uh, a sequel that he had planned. It was going to take place in Africa, which is very strange. But when you look at this movie as a piece of the Godzilla universe, it is probably the most different of them. It's the only one that sort of like acknowledges uh, that sort of 60s era psychedelic drug use, any of that like the ones that we saw from the seventies definitely have like a seventies identity. And this is 1971 and it definitely has some influences from the sixties that, you know, typically throughout the Godzilla franchise, I don't remember a lot of, you know, stuff that was super popular uh, in the States necessarily making its way into sort of the, the lexicon of Godzilla's. So I could see that being off-putting, but I liked it so much more than I anticipated. And it is crazy. It's wild. Like, it just starts becoming like a cartoon at some point. Like, literally, there's just animated sequences that I don't know if they were designed specifically to save on budget in some scenes or because it was aimed at kids or this is just a creative choice to go in with sort of the psychedelia. But it's very out there for a Godzilla movie. And that's probably why it fell into the realm of sort of being a a bubble film for a lot of people. Well, Bono had done documentaries beforehand. And so I guess you could kind of see that that kind of came from that sort of structure. Um, Especially remember the talking head scene where, where the TV screens, there were like multiple screens and everybody's talking over each other. You've got a, I think there's a baby crying like in the middle of garbage <laughs> and stuff. I mean, it was you could kind of think of it as as him kind of pulling that that um history into the film as well. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the poor baby crying in the middle of this toxic waste. Um let's watch the trailer though, because we always watch the trailer on this show. And I'm curious to see like how this is marketed back in the 70s and what it's supposed to be let me grab my screen share is this the uh the japanese or the american no this is the american one because if there is any spoken dialogue we got listeners and not viewers so i feel (laughs) like i owe it to the people that are actually going to listen to this that we're going to have this in english as goofy and wild as it may be here we go Before we get to the trailer, this episode of Bad Movies We Love is brought to you by Kaiju Kush. Hey, what's up Godzilla lovers? I'm here to tell you about 
Wait, what am I telling him about? Kaiju Kush! Oh yeah, that's right. Kaiju Kush. Japan's finest marijuana can now be yours. What's the line again? Ugh, can you read? Yeah? Then just read the prompter. Oh, cool. Kaiju Kush is hydroponic Japanese cannabis. That means it's grown completely in water. Whoa, no way. Descending from a long lineage of Shiatsu Kush on the island of Amamioshima and grown in secret for hundreds of years. What? This colossal strain was mixed with Godfather Kush from foreign travelers and perfected into the potent flower we know today. This shit is radioactive. It'll have you purring like a kitten and curled up on the couch watching a Godzilla movie in no time. <laughs> that sounds good to me. That's Kaiju Kush, imported by Legendary Growers. Well, it's PG. Okay. Well, it's been PG and then G and then PG again. Out of the polluted waters it came to become the most fearful menace that ever threatened mankind. Feeding. <sighs> growing ever more deadly on smog. Only one force dared stand up to its overpowering evil. Godzilla! <laughs> Godzilla versus the smog monster. Will Godzilla, man's friend, be vanquished? There's that theme. Yeah. Oh, there's all those dead bodies. The main storage tank of the Japan Oil Company has exploded. I do love these transformation sequences they did. Nothing man can do can stop the smog monster. Also very trippy. Mm-hmm. Can Godzilla save the Earth from this mastodon of destruction? Mastodon. <laughs> who wrote who wrote the voiceover script for this? I don't know. They may have farmed it out to you know an, an uh, advertising company, or it might have been AIP. I'm not yeah. sure. I don't know. Watch out for those mastodons. Mastodon. They have <laughs> no idea what that means. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, apparently not. I'm imagining a sludge mastodon now. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that throughout all of the Godzilla movies and all the different kaiju that they had to make over the years, I think maybe the new MonsterVerse has one that sort of looks like an elephant. Yes, they do. Yeah. But aside from that, like, it's the what the largest living land mammal right now. You think it'd be an easy thing to to pull from, but I don't know. They went with, you know, Anguirus instead, who crawls around on his knees. <laughs> Poor Anguirus. Uh yeah, but that trailer, like, you know, it's it doesn't like oversell it, but it doesn't undersell it either. It's 
Godzilla versus a monster. This time it's sludge. It doesn't like it doesn't really get you into this thing of this is a piece of political commentary. It gives you this, hey, this is a Godzilla movie and he just happens to be fighting a monster made of pollution. And they like they use the term Godzilla is going to save the earth. And I think they even refer to him as man's friend in that. And this is definitely one of the more friendly Godzilla's in terms of how he interacts with people. And I thought it was just sort of suggested at some point, but uh, towards the end of the film, there is a moment where he does like give this kid a psychic message. And like that happened, didn't it? Um, the, well, the, the kid has visions that That's what Godzilla, I yeah, that Godzilla is going to show up and he's going to try to take care of uh, the smog monster. But the the one that really got me was at the end. Godzilla's walking away. He's fine. He's beat up. He's tired. He's going home. All of a sudden, he stops and he turns around. And I'm like, what's what's he doing? And all of a sudden, there's the little kid running up with his brother and sister or whatever, just so he can say goodbye. Godzilla just knew he was coming. So I guess they had some kind of psychic link. Yeah, because they're like, I thought it was just, oh, this kid is having visions. And okay, that makes sense. It's not the only movie where a kid sort of imagines being buddies with Godzilla. And I mean, me growing up with these movies as well, I was like, hey, it always it would be great to have Godzilla as a friend because, you know, you get bullied and then, hey, you've got Godzilla as your backup. That's great. But <laughs> there's there comes a point where like he really does say that Godzilla sent him a psychic message. And he said he then says uh, Godzilla's here and Hidora's here and then they both show up. So it's possible, I guess, that the kid is just like more observant than everybody, because I think at that point they're having like a bonfire concert on the top of Mount Fuji in preparation <laughs> for uh, the monsters that are going to show up, which they know are going to show up. And they decide to go and have uh, a little festival up there before uh, <laughs> Godzilla and Hidora show up to duke it out towards the what? end. I, that always kind of confused me, and I, I paid a little bit more attention this time. But it it turns out that basically, Hidora's uh, Hidora's basically gonna overrun the overrun the world eventually. So mm -hmm. they're just like, eh, fuck it, let's have a big party before it happens, and we can't go do it anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'm kind of with them on that. And again, this is like coming from the 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 60s element that's in it sort of like the free love let's just go get it while we can kind of attitude and i do love that about it that it has this like weird energy to it but then when you talk about specifically the the introduction of the score here the i guess alternate godzilla music that that kind of like i don't know where <laughs> yeah i don't know why that choice got made you know it's it is a more i guess heroic tone for godzilla showing up although it is i don't know it's a little goofy if that's what you're going for but if yeah. this is like marketed for kids and it's just hey the big guys here then it's just kind of like hey da -da, da -da, you know <laughs> that kind of thing going on but then there's also a very weird uh sort of like banjo score that goes on for Hedora as well, as you sort of see the extent yeah. of the pollution and they just show you the sort of like um, 
the oily sludge that's covering the water and they kind of give you a like a montage of dead fish and uh oceanic pollution on a large scale so interesting that they decided to like ditch a long history of very good very well considered music to go in this new direction and i could see why Tanaka being, you know, in charge of all this and also being hospitalized would be upset because it's like, hey, well, I'm in the hospital over here. You're fucking up Godzilla. (laughs) (laughs) I told you you could do what you wanted, but you didn't tell me you were going to do this. (laughs) Right. And this this guy only did music for one other film is the one right after this one, which is Gigan, which I just watched recently, which is also not a great one. Not a great way. It's got, it's got one of the longest monster fights ever to where it actually gets a little tiring. Um, but there's a lot of fun stuff in that, too. Yeah, of course there is. I mean, that's that's a whole different show. But <laughs> I, th- I think it stays within the realm of like sort of kind of like creative goofiness. I mean, that one's got a guy that like draws kaiju and one of them's a homework monster. And then. There's a reporter who steals a tape, but there's also a Godzilla theme park. So there's Godzilla that destroys Japan, yet they've built a multi-hundred-foot-tall installation and opened a theme park around it to celebrate Godzilla. Very, very confusing as to what's going on. And then there's aliens, of course, because every other Godzilla movie is aliens. And in fact, apparently, Hidora is an alien in this one, although... That's very um, it's sort of softballed in there later in the film because we see him first in the ocean. They do some great miniature work with those boats that he destroys. Oh, yeah. That first introduction to him is great. And then later in the movie, they just say he like came to this planet to eat the pollution. And so we don't really get any of that backstory. They just sort of like, you know, steamroll it because we're already knee deep in the action at that point. And there's quite a bit of action. I think this is up there, if not the longest uh, on screen time for Godzilla from that Showa era. Well, yeah, man, I wish I would have looked that up because that's always a contention with a lot of people like, oh, there's barely any Godzilla in this Godzilla film. But yeah, there's there's quite a bit going on. I would also point out that in this universe, in this film, uh, they've made uh, action figures and toys of Godzilla, who is also destroyed so many of their cities and i was so jealous of this of little ken here when i saw that movie as a kid i'm I'm like oh look at look at what he's doing he's gonna break them sliding them down that slide yeah but i was i was so into it as well i'm like oh man he's really got a lot of great like monster toys here and got a huge collection which gets sludged on later of course but nonetheless like he's yeah we're in a universe of godzilla where the corporations have manufactured toys. And I mean, realistically, these are toys that were being manufactured um, for the films and the fact that this stuff is real (laughs) in Japan. But in the movie, it's also acknowledging that, hey, the corporations are just making these kind of toys at this point and embracing Godzilla as a hero of mankind and not uh, a problem. And for the most part, he doesn't show up and really destroy any property in this, like at least not him alone. Not he's not purpose. just yeah he's not just wandering through the city smashing a bunch of things he's not uh 
just out for a casual stroll where his, you know, his tail's got a mind of its own, just accidentally whips a building every now and then blow some shit up. <laughs> uh, so there's like a lot of explosions. There's a lot of property damage in this, but it's almost exclusively uh, Hidora's involvement in that, that sort of primes Godzilla being responsible. Because, you know, when he shoots that atomic breath around, some shit's going to get exploded and you can't really do anything about that. He's not he's not the best with it, although later in this film, we start to see that his conscious use of his atomic breath is uh, a lot better. And he starts to become more intelligent as the films go on as well. And this is one that displays his intelligence on like almost a near human level at some points. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to go through the movie itself, but yeah, at the, at the end, when the, um, when the military's plan fails again, mm-hmm. he looks at him and he's like, ugh, and then uses his breath again. So yeah, it's like, he knows what he knows that the people are involved in stuff. It's kind of, kind of crazy. Yeah. That moment that you're speaking of, they have lost power to their machine that they're trying to use on the smog monster and he's sort of got it uh, like in in a wrestling hold, like he's got its arms tied back and he's sitting there holding Smog Monster and he sees that they can't get the power turned on. He sort of like shakes his head at them like these idiots. Yes. I can I can never rely on these <laughs> morons. He's like, no wonder they could never beat me in the past. Uh, and then he, he lights up the panel with his atomic breath and, you know, everything goes according to plan from then on out. But uh, I wanted to ask you too. Since you are somewhat of a Godzilla historian, does every Godzilla movie have a scientist as one of the main characters? Because as I'm thinking about it, a lot of the ones that I can think of right off the top of my head, yes, there is a scientist that is directly involved. Uh, directly involved. Um, I'm going to say I don't think so. But um, I'm just thinking back to, I remember um godzilla raids again which you and i have uh we probably have differing opinions on i mean that the main characters are uh like uh they help with fisher fisher fishing mm-hmm. like they're pilots and stuff gotcha um so yeah i think and, and they were there there may have been a scientist in there but he's definitely not mainly involved i don't think good point and i think maybe it's just hey when you need a scientific solution to your problem we're going to put a scientist involved in the story uh, on some level. And like, I was so confused in watching this at the beginning because there's a scuba diver and his son. And so the son and him go out to the ocean, scuba diver goes in, Hedora's there floating around. And I totally thought he dies. And then we come back and it's like, no, just his face is melted. And turns out he's the scientist. And right. he's like in bed in pain for a lot of the movie, but then he still gets up and invents the machine that is used at the end of the movie. And then after that, we cut back and he's like back in bed and in pain again. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know exactly what was going on, but I totally like thought the setup for it was that he dies and then the kid uh, and his mom or whatever are, you know, having their psychic link with Godzilla. But it turns out, no, his dad was a scientist. And his dad came up with the tech that was needed uh, to take care of this because they were studying the what the sludge tadpoles in the very beginning. Yeah. So one of the fishermen brings him the the tadpole that he found. Um, it's like I found a really weird thing. 
And um, so, I mean, that's our first clue that he's a scientist. And and then he goes scuba diving. And it's funny you bring up that scene, man. Uh, after, so it didn't get a little personal. Um, my dad died when I was 13 years old. And that would have been like 1987. I'd already seen this film. But the next time it came on, when that kid was standing on on the side on the side of the of the ocean and just screaming out for his dad, all oh, brought me to tears. I mean, absolutely crushed me. And then, uh, surprise, he's alive. He's, he's pretty much okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think maybe that's why it like resonated with me more because my dad passed when I was seven. And then, oh lord! So my mom, like, she had gotten these Godzilla tapes from work, and it was kind of just like she like sat me down, and I would like just play them one by one, and so maybe that had something to do with the way I saw this particular scene in this movie. Is like they, it seems very much like he dies because we never see him come out of the ocean, yeah. and the kid, like you said, is just on the bank screaming for his dad. And then it's like, oh, no, he just kind of like got his face burnt and, you know, maybe he's uh, wounded beyond that. But we don't really know. But then he's up and about doing science and very interesting, you know, tonal decision, considering that so many people in the movie die. And especially people that just are exposed to Hidora in like small doses also die. He just flies over and a bunch of dead bodies everywhere. So mm -hmm. this guy who got sludged straight up in the face does not die I, I very very confusing but in that scene where he's sort of like down by the rocks and he's looking up and you see Hedora swimming overhead and he's sort of just like waiting to figure out what happens reminded me a lot of that same sort of sequence that we see in Jaws which came five years after this and you've got Richard Dreyfus who loses his dart gun goes down to the bottom of the ocean he's just kind of hiding while he looks up and sees Jaws destroying the cage and i wouldn't be surprised at all if spielberg watched this movie and you know was like <laughs> hey this is this is a good visual representation of sort of what i'm going for here and i think there was somebody else who uh ended up being a, a big godzilla fan as well that was an american director who i can't think of off the top of my head but it would not surprise me because spielberg was making movies around the same time this is a very weird one and it it turns out that this movie is in the Criterion Collection. So of all the Godzilla yep. movies that uh, exist, I don't know how many of them are officially in the collection, but I know for sure the first one. And this one is spine number 1,000. So this one's in there too. Um, so I think, that's, I think that says a lot though, that this movie, despite it being divisive and weird and goofy and completely like offbeat from the rest of them, made it into the Criterion Collection. Criterion released um, the first 14 Showa uh, era. So starting mm. with Godzilla all the nice. way up to Terror of Mechagodzilla. Sweet. Um, a lot of them don't include like the AIP cuts, which is mm. really disappointing. Instead, they include uh, the the international cuts that Toho had done that, that we didn't really see over here. I mean, they're not bad, but I mean, you want Save the Earth when you're watching Godzilla versus a smog monster. Uh, yeah. So speaking of that, I was disappointed because I love that song and it's like part of what the weird identity of this is. And the Japanese version of the song is not even bad at all, but we're going to listen to Save the Earth right now. And if I get in trouble for it, I'll erase it from the episode later. But for now, we're going to save the earth. <laughs> <laughs> 
because Sweet. because we didn't get to because <laughs> I watched the Japanese one and I didn't get to save the earth. So really, you didn't watch the link I sent you? Uh, no, I because I was upstairs in bed watching on the TV. So oh, okay, so okay, cool. I only had one choice, and that was to watch what was on. Uh, I think it was what Max. Yeah, must have been Max. Animals, God's animals, don't go away, don't go. Flowers, my flowers, don't go away. So we get this lady singing in front of like a giant lava lamp. Somebody made a whole music video out of Yeah. And I heard that when they wrote the English lyrics, they tried to line it up with the Japanese mouth movements as well. This was pretty impressive. They just everybody save the earth. <laughs> save Come on, save the earth. I do like this music video cut though. get to see the jetpack <laughs> perfect that's a sweet shot right there there we go adrian russ was uh, the vocalist for the english version of that so i had to i had to man i think adrian russ is actually he just composed the lyrics Oh, was it? Yeah, he was. He's. A, I think he's from AIP. Oh, okay. Well, that that makes perfect sense then. No performer, I, Adrian Russ. Music I could by be wrong. Richiro Manabe. Huh. Either way, uh, good times. <laughs> I mean, I miss that song. I mean, it was it was like my favorite part of it when I was a kid. So. Yeah, you know, of course, because it's great. <laughs> uh, you had mentioned sort of at the outset about like one of the reasons that maybe people didn't like this. And one of those things was sort of like implied drug culture, maybe. And there's a moment pretty early on where Hidora is sort of in its like evolutionary phase. It's growing and it similar to like what we see from Godzilla sort of absorbing uh, like nuclear uh, energy or radiation or, you know, pollution in other movies. Hidora finds himself at some sort of factory and he lines himself up to this smokestack and he just starts going to town. And he, like, I mean, his eyes are super red and bloodshot. And I mean, that's part <laughs> of the character design as well, but I'm like, Oh, he looks faded. He's so stoned. And I didn't even realize like that he purrs like a cat while he's smoking these smokestacks. Yeah. And 
then Godzilla shows up to, you know, bust him. And he's Hidora's lost in the sauce at this point. And you could tell, like, he doesn't know how to fight at all. Like, his first move is like, I'm just jumping towards Godzilla. And he could sort of just lands on him. And then they get into this huge scuffle that's very unorthodox. And it's sort of like Godzilla fighting a wet blanket at this point. <laughs> and, you know, Godzilla eventually finds a way to get Hidora off of him, goes to his patented, like, tail grab where he picks him up, he's slamming him around, he starts swinging him. And then we get the sequence as he's swinging him around. There's giant sludge balls Ugh. flying in every direction. And there's one there's one poor Mahjong game that gets hit mm-hmm. three times. First, it's just some splatter on the window. And then the big sludge ball goes in there and all those guys die. But mm-hmm. uh, interesting to think that of all the things they could show, they just show it landing in the same place three times. I mean, it's probably budget. We're not trying to like show you too many locations here. Uh, but I felt so horrible. I'm like, Godzilla doesn't really have like intentional aim here, but he hits that same place three times. Mm-hmm. And then we get back to Godzilla and sort of Hidora has a has a weird like motion to him. He doesn't really know what to do. He's not aggressive. So he just kind of like sidesteps and then he tries to dive at him again. And Godzilla sees it coming that time. Godzilla dodges. We get Hidora hitting the ground. Then a bunch of smoke flies out of his face. And I'm like, see, he is. He's baked out of his mind right now. No wonder he can't <laughs> fight. Uh, but the miniature work in that first fight scene is just awesome. I mean, some of the Godzilla movies don't do as good of a job. But when it's done really, really well, man, it looks so good. And I think this one in particular looks very good on camera. Yeah, the the fight scene in the fight scene, that opening fight scene, um, the way it's lit, um, the way it's shot, um, the miniatures, every, everything really pretty much works. It, it's it's that's one of the things that really helped fall helped me fall in love with it when I first saw it, because I'd never really seen one look look quite like that. Um, as as for the uh, the drug thing, you know what? I, I'd never thought about it, but you're right because as he sucks more and more of the smokestacks, which is a great a great visual. Mm-hmm. That that effect looks amazing as well. Yeah, his his eyes, uh, his eyes, the red fades and his eyes start to close. Like mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, I'm so baked. I'm just gonna. <laughs> He's gonna close my eyes for a bit and listen to some music. Um, <laughs> the, the sound design, like uh, all of all of the sound of sound effects for for Hidora, they're they're disgusting. They're interesting. Um, it, this is one of the grossest Godzilla films I've ever seen. It is so disgusting. So much sludge. Um, I mean, I think in this one as well. Godzilla slams him down and just a whole bunch of sludge comes gushing out of him as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just, Oh, so gross, but so cool. Um, uh, and then of course, you know, they end up on Mount Fuji at the end. It's, it's, it's still got a great, um, you know, backdrop. Um, it's still great, but yeah, it's, this had a much lower budget than the movie that came before it. And I can't remember what movie came before, but yeah, so they had to cut down on that. They couldn't do so many miniatures. I guess they they spent most of that budget on that very opening one. Yeah, and as we saw when we were doing the the watch of Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, we see that that similar, uh, like, what is it? Uh, time-lapse face change effect that we saw with the, the monkey alien people. 
was used here when people get sludged by Hedora and they have this sort of like frame by frame slow change effect. So you could see like some of the techniques that they had used in this movie went on to be used again in some of the other films. And, you know, sort of when we were watching the trailer, I, I had remarked on the the transformation animation that they used for Hedora. And I mean, really, it's very, very impressive because when I watched it yesterday, I couldn't tell, like, did they fill up the the physical suit with sort of like lighting so that they could turn it on and off during that sequence? Because I know some of it is like animated over the top of the cell as he goes from standing Hedora back to spaceship Hedora back to standing Hedora. There's a pink glowing outline. You see a bunch of sparkles, but it looks like there was some sort of like lighting cue that they put into the costume itself. And like, I kind of want to go back and watch just that moment of it, but I love the way that they chose to do that because yeah, you can't really like show it transform. So considering this is 1971 and like how they're going to make it work. And at that point in the film, they had told us that, Hey, we get like sea creature, then he's uh, sort of like transformed from tadpole to amphibian and he's crawling and then he ends up uh, flying and then we find out that he can just kind of switch between flight and standing. And also, like when I see him standing, I feel like, well, it's kind of like an awesome costume. It also looks like he's the mascot for like a plumbing company or something. It's like, <laughs> you know, you call Roto-Rooter, we're going to get these turds out of your pipes. But the the way that they did, like, the massive headpiece on this costume in comparison to some of the other Godzilla costumes, like, the head design is fantastic. Uh, like, it has motorized eyelids that are fairly large, like, the big red eyes, like, the very defined, colorful iris. I love the sort of look of his, I guess, his face and then seeing the different transitional phases of Hedorah as well. Like you see, they did cut some corners, of course, because they didn't have a choice. But uh, ultimately, like it looks really good, especially like in the low lit fight scenes. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking for the initial like to signify the transformation, they might have just set off some flashes like underneath yeah. the suit. But later when he is so he's got he's got his tadpole, he's got his his little frog amphibian thing, he's got his flying one, and then he's got his final one. That one is huge. He's bigger than Godzilla. Yes. He is gigantic. And then they put something in where when he's get I guess when he's getting ready to use his laser beam, mm-hmm. you see that 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 top part of his head starts to like expand and yeah. turn red. Yeah, that was pretty impressive. They they really got really creative with that. Um, but um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure exactly how they did it, but it is damn impressive. Yeah, I would encourage anybody if you don't want to watch the whole movie. That's you know that's fine. I get it. But I would encourage anybody that listens to this to at least check out some of like the highlights of this particular transformation sequence we're talking about because I feel like it's a very good marriage of practical effects and then what was available in terms of like you know digital vfx at the time and like this is 1971 so it it had to be done in a way that makes sense for the tone 
of the film and still somewhat look good. And I think there's just very, very good job of doing that because like, I think even at this point, Godzilla's breath like hasn't really evolved that much on screen. It still isn't even like that blue, I guess. I mean, it's like starting to get more blue, but it's still like kind of gray. So they haven't like evolved the VFX like that far at the point that this movie came out. But uh, I love that transformation sequence. And, you know, since you mentioned the costume, I think uh, now's probably a good time to go to trivia. Okay. Well, I wanted to bring up one more thing about the got the costume before we do. All right. Go for it. I love the way when he finally hits that final form there on Mount Fuji, it's a dark. He's glittering. Like they put mm-hmm. like this glitter all over him and it really gives him this ethereal look. It's it's absolutely gorgeous. And then um, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, Godzilla only has three toes in this one. Oh, I got to go back and look at that. This is a different suit design where he's only got three toes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's do trivia. Let's do trivia. Time for trivia. Okay. So speaking of the person in the Hidora suit, that was Kenpachiro Satsuma. Woo-hoo. He was the only one strong enough to support the weight of the costume. Approximately how much did the costume weigh? I didn't know you're gonna be quizzing me on the trivia. I thought <laughs> you're just gonna tell it to me. Uh I would say 250. Pretty close. It was rumored to weigh 300 pounds, uh, suspended a little bit by wires to, of course, help him out. But part of the reason he got the job because he was the only one that could like effectively wear the suit. And then Ken Pachiro went on to be Gigan in the next two films and then eventually wore the Godzilla costume itself for Godzilla 1985. And I believe he wore it until uh, Godzilla vs. Destroya in 95. So, yep, sort of almost, if you think about it, a little bit similar to the way that like pro wrestling gives its uh, title belts out, right? So he finally got to be wearing the World Heavyweight Championship, and that just came in the form of a giant rubber Godzilla suit for 10 years. So congrats to Ken Pachiro before his retirement on Destroya. Uh, question number two, the prop that they used for Godzilla flying <laughs> was used in one other Godzilla film. And what film is that? Uh, was it uh, Monster Zero? Correct. Bingo. Uh, also known as Invasion of Astro Monster, but you and I both grew up with it, knowing it as Godzilla vs. Monster Zero, which is a very cool name in and of its own. Uh, Godzilla vs. Hedorah is the only one where Godzilla voluntarily flies himself under his own control. In Astro Monster, him and Rodan are sort of sucked out of the mountainside in the fetal position and abducted by aliens. And that's a whole nother movie. That's also awesome in its own weird, bizarre way. But Absolutely. Oh, it's, it's great. <laughs> Not for this show, uh, but another time maybe. And third and final question in the German version of the film, Frankenstein's Kampf gegen die Tufelmonster. <laughs> <laughs> The name Hedora was changed to what? Oh, Germany! You guys are insane. <laughs> was it? Was it something about Satan or something? They usually uh, do that. 
Yeah, so the literal translation, I think, uh, had something to do with uh, Tufa Monster, I think, is like Devil Monster. But uh, ah. the name Hedora was changed to Hydrox. Oh. Not to be confused with the chocolate cream-filled cookies, which most of us think is a knockoff of Oreo, but actually existed four years earlier. They're the originals. There you go. So you get some Oreo cookie trivia with your Godzilla trivia as well. But I know that you told me that you had some of the alternate titles for this movie pulled up. And I think now is a really good time to hear those. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought um, it was kind of interesting because, yeah, that was one of them I was going to bring up. Um, Let me pull it up here as I don't have memorized. Um, There was uh, in Spain, they called it Hedera, the toxic bubble. Um. Uh, let's see. Well, Frankenstein's battle against the devil monsters, of course, in Germany. <laughs> um, we had uh, in Belgium, Godzilla against the monster of fog. Um, <laughs> the Netherlands was Satan's creature. Okay. And those are those are pretty much the best ones. OK, OK. Uh, I like that. Uh, I like the fog monster as well. It's like much less menacing than the smog monster. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to ask you too. Does Godzilla ever win on his own merit? I'm sure he does, but as I'm like reminiscing, I'm like, okay, well, he's got help in this one. He's got help in this one. He's got help in this one. The one that we watched, he gets help from the humans, although the help is not very good. I mean, he basically has to bail them out <laughs> at the end too. But they devise the. The giant drive-in movie theater that shoots electricity right and, <laughs> and dries out smog monster so i'm just trying to think like how many times does godzilla win just based on being godzilla um well i okay godzilla rage again he defeated angiris all by himself true it's the first one i can think of and then we've got 14 more for me to sit and think about so i don't think we have that amount of time <laughs> That's perfectly reasonable. Um, but if you are playing along at home and participating in Kaijun, or if this is your first foray into Godzilla films, it's worth paying attention to how often there is some sort of subplot that involves helping Godzilla defeat somebody. We saw it in Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. In its sequel, Terror of Mechagodzilla, that also happens as they have the sonic gun that hits Titanosaurus. Um, you know what? In the in the legendary ones, he does sort of like, I mean, he beats King Kong, but then they have to tag team on the new Mechagodzilla. In King of the Monsters, he does win, I think, on his own merit, maybe. Oh. No, there's like a there's a mind control thing that the humans had to manipulate. Uh so just off the top of my head, there's a lot of times where Godzilla doesn't just like get to go full Godzilla mode. But if I remember correctly, when they did the redesign Ooh. of Mechagodzilla in the 90s. Yeah, there's one where they think they've gotten Godzilla beat and he just regenerates and kicks Kiryu's ass. Um. Oh. Oh. Well. You're if you're going to Kiru, that that's that's even further from from the nineties. Um. 
that may even be in the 2000s. So, be. yeah, when I said 14, I was still stuck in the Showa era. Um, but, yeah, there's there's usually always something like that. I think, actually, in uh, when you said Mechagodzilla in the 90s, I was thinking of the one where uh, Rodan was in there, and they had the baby Godzilla, and the guy threw a, flew around on the mechanical Pteranodon for some reason. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. Um, but I, I think Rodan uh, ended up pulling a Mothra and giving Godzilla some of his power in yes, that one. So again, that is what happened. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't get to go super Saiyan too often. Um, <laughs> but he does. Also, it's a lot of fun though. Hell yeah. Did you, did you notice, uh, are you an Ultraman fan? I am. All? I'm not like the most well-versed. I do love Ultraman. And there was this one, I'm convinced now that it was a completely bootlegged copy of Ultraman where it was basically just highlights from the show, like monster fights, and they were all like spliced together. And my sister used to work at Tower Records and I would make her rent this video every time I went to her house. And she like in hindsight, she's like, I should have just bought it, but it was like 80 bucks at the time. And so she didn't want to buy it. But I like as I think back on it, I think somebody at the store must have just recorded this off of their television, put it on VHS and then rented it out. But uh, (laughs) definitely should have just bought that. Yeah. Oh, man, I have so many like when I was a kid, I bought uh, I had my mom buy me the original Godzilla King of the Monsters with Raymond Burr. She paid like 80, 90 dollars for that. I mean, the that was uh, it, you could pay ridiculous prices even back then. Um, nowadays, if it's out of print, you can be paying like a hundred, two hundred dollars, whatever. Um, but yeah, I went through that. There's the point where uh, they're fighting on Mount Fuji. Uh, mm-hmm. He and the Smallmaster, and he shoots his laser at Godzilla, and Godzilla does the Ultraman move. He oh, puts yeah. the the <laughs> arm at the arm at the elbow and the arm up. Uh, that that cracked me up as a kid. Yeah, he just sort of like absorbs it, but then also like burns his hand. So it's almost like yes, what we've seen from like Jackie Chan movies where like he'll punch a guy and then he's like, oh, wow, like that hurt a lot. And sort of like he reacts in the way that was the opposite to what Bruce Lee had done in those films at the time. Like Jackie Chan was like the the non tough guy, but knew how to fight. But you had mentioned Mount Fuji and sort of like the fight that happens there. But I want to ask you a question about the party because. Uh oh, there, there is I, I a think... scene where the party's happening and then they just cut to another shot. And there's like five uh-huh. there's five old dudes just hanging out in the bushes. Right. Who, who the fuck are those guys? I don't know. <laughs> I was like, maybe they live somewhere around there. And <laughs> and they they were just like, what, what are these punks up to? Maybe we should go take a look. I don't know. They, we never saw them die. I don't think we saw most of the kids die. Mm hmm. Uh, but I do love that that scene sort of culminates with the the rebel punk kids who are enjoying rock music and quite possibly high because they see a giant like 300 foot smog monster show up and they're like, no, grab the torches. Let's fight it. It's uh, afraid of fire. <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> yeah, they do state that it's afraid of fire, although I don't believe it had ever been established at any point during the movie that it was, in fact, afraid of fire. No. <laughs> oh, that whole that whole sequence is bizarre because then they basically just all die. And then it's OK. Showdown time for uh, the, the big battle on top of Mount Fuji at the end. And they're 
is the scene where like Godzilla's losing and Hidora like scoops him up in in a weird fashion uh, and flies his ass up the side of Mount Fuji and then just drops him. Godzilla rolls downhill into like a pre-prepared oak crevasse. Yeah, crevasse. I was like, okay, it's a, <laughs> a grave he dug for Godzilla because it's not the only movie where there's a grave dug for Godzilla. So regardless, he ends up there and then Hidora starts like sludging him. You know, oh, just start God. like oozing mud, cement, pollution, whatever. So gross. It's very gross. And that scene's kind of like really sad, too, because Godzilla's essentially blinded. He's on his back. He can't get up. And he's just aimlessly shooting his fire into the air and crying. He, he kind of screams. Yeah, his his roar changes. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's like, oh, wow, he's actually in a position where he's in deep trouble and he's losing. And then, like, they cut away to the humans, and then they come back, and Godzilla and Hidora are just, like, rolling down the mountain together. And yeah. he never escapes from the pit of sludge. He never... They never show, like, what happens there. And I was sort of disappointed watching it this time, because it's very rare that you see Godzilla end up in, a like, a highly disadvantageous position against another kaiju, so for him to actually be in a position where he's losing and I mean, I guess on paper, he's kind of being beat at that point. Like if he gets completely engulfed in the sludge and just suffocates, then Hidora mm. wins and they just sort of avoid having that confrontation. The next thing we see is the two of them rolling down the hill together. So I, f I felt a little bit cheated in that, but I know that this movie's only an hour and 25 minutes or so. And like you said, the budget isn't really there. You can't have too much going on. You need to get your way to the end of this film because the humans have built these two giant electro screens that they need to trap Hidora in between in order to win. So they got to find their way down there. And rolling down Mount Fuji is the way that they get down there. Yeah, and again, I don't know if that's because of recuts after the Tanaka got a view at it and brought mm -hmm. in Ishiro Honda. Or if it was just they didn't have the money to show what happened after that. But um, I guess they had to get to that point because I think that's where, isn't that where Hidora uh, crashes into the electrical tower and that stops the drive-in theater uh, from working? Uh, yes, they roll down the hill and they knock down like all of the infrastructure. So again, the military has planned very poorly. Like, you know, we're relying on these two giant monsters not to smash all of the electrical towers in between here and the place that we're trying to lead him to. And in that moment, still, they they try to figure it out and they still can't. So it's like the humans are like working on this plan. And it was just a very interesting contrast, especially after watching uh, 98 last week in sort of the military like ineptitude here and how it's comical and then how Roland Emmerich shows it. And it's like, not only is it like military incompetence, but like they also destroy their own stuff and they're more responsible for the destruction of property than even Godzilla is in that movie. So it's just a very interesting sort of shift in the portrayal of how the military does what they do in a Godzilla film, because in the vast majority of Godzilla movies, the military doesn't win. You know, they roll out tanks, they roll out planes. I, I know you know the Japanese army march music. 
uh, mazers. Godzilla. Yeah, electric things, uh, the mazers, the, the electric nets that they drop on Godzilla from time to time. So there's always some sort of military intervention. It never works fully, uh, but it's never really framed like the military is the one uh causing problems so to see emmerich's version of it was just a very interesting take on how the military would get involved with godzilla being in the united states yeah I, you've you, now i'm thinking about remember why were they why did they think flashing their their lights at hedera would would attract him to where it needed to be i don't think it was ever established that he was attracted to lights like that. The only time he interacted with cars was when he sucked all of them up in the traffic jam, which mm-hmm. was another really cool scene. It was a very cool scene. He hungry, hungry hippoed those cars. He, hell yeah. <laughs> but I don't understand where where they I maybe I missed it. Who knows? But yeah, I don't um yeah, that's that's all the Godzilla 98 movie was. Yeah, Godzilla himself didn't do much of anything. He ran through a building once, I think. Um, and then he hid and then the military destroyed everything. <laughs> it's um, funny you bring up the flashing lights in Hidora because I too was a little confused, but then I went back to thinking he's a stoner. And <laughs> 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 and they're just flashing the lights at him, and he's so high that he's just like, Okay, what is that over there? And uh, that makes sense. Yeah, they don't try to rush him or anything. And in fact, when the one chopper shows up later, it's this chopper that avoided being shot down by Hidora's laser. It just shows up against orders and they're screaming at it like, no, you moron, don't do this right now. And it's <laughs> dropping the oxygen bomb at him. But in the moment where the cars are there, it's like it's just this very like rhythmic flashing of the lights. And you kind of see like he's almost hypnotized by it. I'm like, oh, he is such a stoner. I can tell. I know a stoner when I see one, and Hidora is a stoner. That all makes a lot of sense. There's there's a lot of standing around in in the last in the last battle, like when they're not actually tussling. Um, and I th- I think it's kind of weird because if you notice, because you had brought this up in, in their first encounter up at the refinery and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, Hidora doesn't know how to respond. He doesn't know what to do. Godzilla does his little arm thing at him, and and Hidora does it back. He's like, oh, this is what's going on. So uh, I think he just kind of reacts to uh, what what got Godzilla is doing, and that's why they they just kind of end up standing around for a while, just <laughs> whatever at each other. Yeah, he's not nearly as adept at combat as some of Godzilla's other foes, and I think at least in the depiction of it, it throws Godzilla off too because he doesn't know what to do, and he gets like sludged in the eye. And then loses one of his eyes for the majority of the movie. And his response is he gouges out Hidora's other eye. Yeah. And just like, you know, jams his hand in there all the way up to like his wrist. So they're both walking around with one eye. And then it gets to the point where they finally like work their way in the final battle to the the, the grid, the the dehydration yeah, the, zone the drive-in uh, theater yeah. <laughs> yeah that's all i can think of <laughs> two big drive-in screens uh and they they get hidora and then he's down on the ground and godzilla decides to like start fisting him i mean like it's very graphic to say it that way but he just decides to reach inside of him and start grabbing stuff and he pulls out 
what I thought at first was like, that's an egg. And then I see he's got another one. I'm like, okay, he's got eggs. I'm like, are these his balls? <laughs> and then I guess they said that it's his eyes. And I'm like, his eyes are very clearly red. The whole did movie. They, did they say it in, in the Japanese version? Because I haven't watched no, that one in a while. They no. didn't. Yeah, I, you know, that's one of the things I meant to look into because it's always been a question for myself. I still think they may be eggs. Yeah, because I, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like, because we've seen like, uh, we've seen it evolve from like the tadpole stage, right? So it's like, okay, maybe Godzilla's aware of that and he's going to stop it from procreating and taking over the world, etc. Like, at least that lines up with some of the x's and o's that they've laid out for us in this story but then in reading like some of the notes about it it seems like the consensus is that it's his eyes because his eyes don't open after that or at least that's what i read in the notes but i would have to go back and watch it again because it's so graphic in the moment that it's happening i'm like did he just get castrated like this is intense because godzilla doesn't usually get that handsy and he's like elbow deep inside Hidora on the ground just digging around inside of him and takes out these two little white pearly objects and then dehydrates them in the well, th in the electric zone i think part of it is like once once hydra's been dried out a bit it's almost like he's molting because remember mm -hmm. he jumps back out of there i think after this scene he does yeah like yeah he's in there still so maybe these are the old eyes i don't know but um <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he molts he escapes and then we bring him back and then godzilla's like you know what i'm just digging out everything inside of you and he starts throwing shit left and right um yeah it gets really graphic he does. He disembowels him and dismembers him and then zaps him again with the electricity to finally dry him out. But yeah, it's that moment after he rips the orbs out that Hidora goes flying away and Godzilla jetpacks himself to go catch him. And I think my favorite thing from that is like, OK, it's goofy. He's got his tail like tucked up by his head and he's jetpacking his way over there. But when he gets Hidora, he... He sort of like changes course, slams him into the ground, then picks him up and goes back the other direction. And when they arrive at the drive-in movie theater, Godzilla like turns his head up to reverse thrust them into the ground. And so I'm like, okay, at least they're paying attention to like the, <laughs> the propulsion physics that they've laid out here for us. I uh, I always thought it was funny. You get you get the big um, before he starts flying. He puts his arms out. He turns around. He tucks his tail in, and then you cut to the model, and that tail ain't being tucked in at all. He can't even reach the arms like he has Tyrannosaurus arms on that model. <laughs> I know because this one is just like I don't know if it was made from like a, a plaster cast or something, but it doesn't have the flexibility of a rubber suit. So it could have been even completely done with like the the most excuse me, the, the smallest like miniature scale since they just have to basically like shoot some steam out of its mouth at that point. But they do go through that process. They get into their final battle. We were talking about Godzilla sort of disemboweling him in that final scene and him lighting up the, the electrical grid again. And I guess I was wondering, like, does Godzilla like not have any fear of being dehydrated by this machine himself? Because they don't really clarify that it wouldn't work on Godzilla. 
But he's also, you know, big and strong and probably not as reliant on moisture. But, you know, Godzilla's a living, breathing creature that lives in the ocean. So he does like water and live in water for the most part. I think it's mostly just electricity. And we've seen, like in most Godzilla movies, electricity does not does not affect him unless it's King Kong versus Godzilla. Um, unless you need it to. Right, exactly. Yeah, everything adapts to what the story needs. So, yeah, I think, yeah, he, he knew that wasn't going to affect him. It's very interesting, though, just to, to see it all play out, because I really just I liked the I liked the setup of the way that it ended. Like you have this giant towering creature who is very atypical to a Godzilla villain. Uh, I think the only taller I know we've seen uh, Ghidorah at several points throughout Godzilla history. I think at by the time this movie happens, so we've, yeah, but, we've but seen he's Go- he, he's got giraffe heads. I mean, come on, true. But I'm saying like we've seen <laughs> something taller than Godzilla, but we've never seen something like Ghidorah that was dwarfing him when they stood just sort of like toe to toe and had a much bigger head and was taller and was able to shoot a projectile and was able to fly and like do all these things and it is a one-on-one fight and we saw that Godzilla usually has some sort of buddy to help him when he's facing Ghidra so very interesting decision to not only sort of design the look of Hidora this way and to like make him so massive but to have him not really be able to like engage in physical combat but still be able to to best Godzilla mostly one on one, yeah. Because it it makes it dark, it makes it scary, it makes the it makes it higher risk for Godzilla than it normally is. And I'm wondering if that's because he is like the representative of humanity in this movie. You know, they say he's like friend to man. Uh, he's literally showing up to fight pollution and sort of like make a, a statement. And one of the sort of user reviews that I scrolled past here said it was like Godzilla's like court appointed movie. <laughs> um I, I'm not sure, but I you brought up something that I just thought about was later in the series we we see a lot of uh a lot of foes that adapt and evolve and change. I mean this this is probably the first one if if we think about it. Mm-hmm. And then they use sort of a similar scale for uh, not scale, but a similar like growth curve uh, for the evolution of Shin Godzilla. Right. And Destroya. Destroya. Mm-hmm. If we want to. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, start starts as little bitty things combines. Um, I think. Hmm, wow. That's that's uh, and pretty the, interesting. With the, the Mega Gyrus and Mega Nulas. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Mega Gyrus is one of the goofiest <laughs> movies ever. Uh, for sure. But I was just thinking about that, too. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. He starts as like the little Mega Nulas and then turns into Mega Gyrus. Oh, Godzilla's filled with some very interesting creatures. But I think it's a good time to go to Critics Corner, except for this doesn't have a Metascore. So we're going to be reading user reviews. So it might get even nastier than it normally does. Ooh. All right, so let's see. I I found a one, a one out of ten, and this is from a user named Plankton Rules. It says it's just plain dumb. 
The movie was designated the worst film in the 50 worst movies book, and I can see why. Mm. Now, I must admit up front that I think most Godzilla films, apart from the original, are pretty silly. Most of them I saw as a child, too young to know better. However, I watched this movie only a day ago because I'm crazy enough to want to see all of these 50 worst movies. Uh, I mean, yes, it is. See, like, that's how I think that I used to think that, like, this movie is just dumb in that way. And it's kind of, like, easy to casually brush it aside and just say, oh, like, it's dumb and therefore, like, it's not good. But I think in the greater sort of context of what the Godzilla films are, and especially in watching Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla recently, like the creative choices that they made, sort of the the 70s style that leaks into that film and sort of how the 60s style leaks into this, the the animation choices here, both from a like practical VXF standpoint and from the actual literal animation that they fold into this, like the decisions in the creative storytelling here, I think, are bold and easy to cast aside, but not bad choices. Um, also, this person is only watching because it's in a worst of book. I don't know who wrote this book. This could be Golden Turkeys or this could be what's that? What's that other one that everybody always quotes? Is it not the no? Yeah. So they only want to watch the worst movies possible. So that puts it that automatically puts them as they're expecting it to be bad. They're not they're not looking for anything entertaining in it at all. All right. So get out of here, Mr. One out of ten. We're going to move on. Beat it. Plankton. (laughs) Plankton rules. No, Plankton sucks. Uh, We're going to move on to Gridoon, who gave it a three out of ten. Says Godzilla battles a monster made basically of toxic sludge. And, quote, unquote, sludge is the operative word here. It's an awful sleep-inducing movie, despite lots of plottingly choreographed action. I haven't seen many Godzilla flicks, but this must rank near the bottom. It does have an honest anti-pollution huh. message, though. <laughs> oh, well, I love that he he rescued that from the trash heap by saying that its anti-pollution message is honest. Um, and, I mean, look... It is maybe a little sleep inducing, but that's because one of the main characters is a big stoner. So what are you going to do? Like, of course, it's a little sleep inducing. If you're staring at those headlights, you might get a little sidetracked. Uh, (laughs) Gotta lay off the smokestacks, man. Gotta lay off those smokestacks, man. Uh, Okay, so we got a five out of ten here from Y-02311. That's a very original username says just don't watch it if you can't handle godzilla flying through the air or environmental messages a solid five out of ten this is the most like it's the most empty review like why even write a review of a movie if that's what you're going to commit to paper at that point I mean, I, I can understand the Godzilla flying part, but who, who, who? Oh no, there's there's anti-pollution. Well, maybe it's too woke. Who knows? <laughs> right? And <laughs> Godzilla was too woke back in 1971. <laughs> okay, we're gonna go to a seven out of ten. This is from Nerdbat from July of 2018. This film tends to be exceedingly rare on DVD and VHS, and I really wish it mm-hmm. wasn't that way. This film made more or less to prove a point that pollution was beginning to become a major problem for much of Japan. 
with unique music scenes and a monster who obviously doesn't fit in with Godzilla's other enemies. It's a one of a kind film. It's a pretty awesome one. I've seen it again and again. It has a few scenes that seem a bit unnecessary, groovy hippie like music and scenes mm-hmm. of flashing colors don't really bring a lot to the plot or uh, feel for the film. The monster, though, is totally massive, nearly twice Godzilla's size when it's full grown. It's one of the best, in my opinion. I really like it. I would say this is one of the must-sees of the Godzilla franchise. And I agree with you, Nerdbat. If you're going to do a Godzilla marathon, this has got to be one that's in the conversation. Yeah, I, I want to be friends with Nerdbat. Nerdbat, let's go. All right, I'm going to find a 10 out of 10 review here because I know there's definitely one of them. I scrolled past it. All right, here we go. This is from Movie Nutball. This is January 2005. Love it. 10 out of 10. Says, great film. I'm a huge Godzilla fan. I grew up with Godzilla. I just love seeing this awesome monster just destroy cities and fighting other monsters. I like his enemies as well, but Godzilla's the icon. This Godzilla film is one of the most unique films, and it's great. The story's very good, and I really like the way Godzilla looks. I love it when he roars and moves his tail. Oh, he's getting a little into it there. As for his enemy, the smog monster, a.k.a. Hedora, he too is awesome. It's cool how the monster attacks, and I also love when he moves. The fights between the two of them are very good. The acting by the film's human stars are also very good. And so is the music. I really love this Godzilla f- film for many reasons. And if you love Godzilla, I strongly recommend that you do what I did and buy Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster today. That's almost like a commercial for this show. But if you really want to buy it, you're looking at probably a $100 DVD at the minimum. But yeah. that's, a, that's a good full spectrum look at all of the sort of like general takes out of it. I like that this one just says psychedelic. This psychedelic goji <laughs> entry features a very formidable opponent. Uh, eight smog clouds out of ten. <laughs> nice yeah but it's nice to see that there's so many different takes like there's definitely i think especially for me too because i was of that mindset of oh i loved it as a kid i got a little bit older and i was like ah, oh, that's dumb and then i got even older and i was like wait a second this is great <laughs> I, for- I forgot the thing that i liked about it as a kid still holds up pretty well and it's actually smarter than i it was when i, I was a kid so despite it having like some sort of dumb pitfalls and things like that, it's not necessarily uh, that doesn't necessarily make it a bad movie. But I'm a little surprised to see that it still has uh, a 6.0 flat on IMDb because I don't know for a movie like this that is like so divisive, I guess, amongst Godzilla fans and sort of has the weird history with it. I'm surprised that there's only 6000 ratings for it. Like that seems really low. I've seen movies like where I thought the low end was like 20, 30,000. And I was going to say, I think the only other Godzilla film that had such a huge discrepancy between people that like it or don't like it is Godzilla's Revenge. Mm. Or I think that was also called All Monsters Attack um, in Japan. And that's the one where little Ichiro uh, imagines going to Monster Island and hanging out with Minya or Manila. I think that's the only other one that had such a huge uh, gap between fans and not fans. Yeah, that's where like Godzilla fights a giant praying mantis. And I think there's a the big spiders on that one as well. Gabra. Well, 
Gabara is that yeah, most of that stock footage, but Gabara is the new one that they created for that. Yeah. And he's a latchkey kid and blah blah blah. But yeah, that that <laughs> one uh <laughs> that one that one uh, a lot of people just absolutely despise, much like Smog Monster was for many years. Yeah, and I I mean I haven't seen that one in a long time, but I mean I think it's worth a revisit. And yeah, absolutely. You know, I I'm sad that June is coming to an end because it's been fun uh, getting to watch these movies. And most of them are like 90 minutes, too. So I can just plug in, have fun for 90 minutes, like see how ridiculous a lot of it is, but also have just a super high level of appreciation for the fact that these movies did not have big budgets. And, you know, so much of this is just guys in rubber suits duking it out. And to think how much the the filmmakers and the studio were able to like get out of the idea is pretty remarkable. And when Godzilla lands, it lands well. And I was really glad that we got to, you know, do our little watch party last week and, you know, show a Godzilla movie sort of that, that we grew up with, that we appreciate. Uh, to some other people and you know it seemed like seth liked it uh shauna seemed to have fun with it so yeah it got some good reactions man people were like oh holy like when mecha godzilla showed up they're like wow mm-hmm. that is a really cool design uh they were impressed by some of the effects that showed up like you know the guy turned into half a monkey face <laughs> um, the model work and the uh pyrotechnics Everybody seemed to really have a good time with it. That was it was a lot of fun. It was. And I think that speaks to sort of the quality and the ingenuity of the filmmaking, I want to say, because. Like I said, it's a lot of it is just guys in rubber suits and the vision has to be uh, so much bigger than that. And I think that's what I really have come to appreciate in going back and spending more time watching some of these older films. Because I think most people who are, you know, film lovers, movie buffs, cinephiles, etc. It's sort of easy to look at the first Godzilla and say, like, this is a great film because it is. And the like the limitations of the special effects and of the rubber suit and stuff are, excuse me, apparent, but. It's also not about necessarily like monster action, right? It's about this metaphor. And so as you move into other Godzilla films and it's more about Godzilla fighting other monsters and more guys in suits and uh, bigger kind of like crazier concepts like in Mechagodzilla where there is a sleeping God creature that they need a statue in the right position at the right time of day. And then a lady's got to sing a five minute song, like right in in crunch time to wake up this God monster in order to get it to help at the right time. Some of like the further you go down the road and the crazier things get, I will never stop appreciating the fact that the filmmakers, the writers, the actors, regardless of the limitations, regardless of some of the simplicity that sort of is encompassing everything, all these people really had to like believe in the concept and believe in the execution. And I think 
when you really see the high level of what it can achieve it as a film fan in general not just as a Godzilla fan but as someone who loves low budget stuff and loves seeing creative filmmaking sort of push the envelope and get me to suspend my disbelief even though the money isn't there like Godzilla excels and maybe maybe it's the thing that really like attracted me to the Godzilla franchise in general is that you can sort of create this world with a giant monster and all this history and all this mythology and it's really just a guy in a rubber suit yeah they ingenuity man um really makes it work as you get further into the Godzilla series um from the the Showa era which was 54 up to 74 they get less and less money as they go along so that they were even able to pull a lot of this stuff off is pretty amazing but yeah just to to let people see how they they took this i mean stop motion is where it all started with king kong and whatnot that's really expensive to do and even hollywood didn't want to do that anymore um willis o'brien couldn't get his king kong sequel that he wanted to do off the ground that ended up being king kong versus godzilla due to shady shenanigans <laughs> but um toho godzilla uh, japan they knew that with godzilla they couldn't afford that so they did the best they could starting at the beginning and then um they just continued that down the road i think a lot of it really comes down to the way they shoot it the model work as godzilla gets bigger the model work gets a little less detailed which is kind of a you know bummer but um yeah they, they they never stopped trying to do the best that they could yeah absolutely and you know especially this summer we had like fast and the furious 10 we had i think was it quantum mania was beginning of this year we had another big franchise film that came out as well i mean flash kind of was another one of those transformers so we're we're in a summer this year in 2023 where we're seeing sort of the the depths of franchise filmmaking from studios and if you were to add up transformers and fast and the furious and throw flash in there and even if you want to count ant-man in there though all those films together still don't have the legacy and the longevity of a series like godzilla that started in 1954 and now has what 35 40 films under its belt i think it's the longest running film franchise in the world and it's number number one with james bond at number two i believe so yes um and it's amazing because it's not just from its own home country it's also over here um we've we've got uh Godzilla festival or uh you know fan festivals that that happen here Godzilla conventions that have been going on since oh I don't know 93 94 that happen up in Chicago all the time um there's just a huge fan base here in, in America and obviously Hollywood knew it that's why they did it in 98 that's why before that they were trying to get it done with Steve Miner make a 3D film um, and that's why after 98 failed, they said, you know what, let's try it again, because there's obviously an audience here for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they're working on the new one right now. I think it's due out either like early next year, maybe like May, something like that. Which and is the TV the show. Uh, yeah, that's what I heard. 
There's a TV show. There's Kong uh, Skull Island animated. And then there's another Monster First film coming out that should have Godzilla and Kong in it as well. I mean, it it never stops. Yeah, it doesn't. And there's a good reason for that. And, you know, we wouldn't be in a position where the Godzilla property would be available to turn into a large American studio franchise without the guys in the rubber suits. So it is totally worth going back and watching even the ones that you think are maybe bad Godzilla films. I There's always a redeeming quality in all of them, even if you think they're silly and goofy and dumb. Just watch it and have fun, and it's totally worthwhile. So I want to ask you, I know you had mentioned the, was it Godzilla's Revenge? Yeah, that was the American title, yes. Is there another one that is like close to Hidora at all that you would recommend as like a comparable film experience or maybe another kaiju movie that would sort of fit that bill? Like a like a, a dark but shot well and filmed well kind of thing? <laughs> no, just like maybe tonally. Totally. Um, well, yeah. So that that brings us kind of the dark thing. Um, I would say the uh, Heisei Gamera trilogy that came out in the 90s started with Gamera Guardian of the Universe. Um, and then uh, I can't remember the other two off the top of my head right now, but those three together um, have the best special effects, the best kaiju effects that anyone's ever seen. It's got a great story. Um, and, um, I would highly, highly recommend, um, it's, it, if you enjoy Gamera Guardian of the Universe, go ahead and finish out the series because it gets better as it goes along. I believe Gamera versus Gauss is one of those. Is that right? No. The, the bat creature? Well, Gauss is in Gamera Guardian of the Universe. Gamera gotcha, versus okay. Ga- Gamera versus Gauss is from the, the 70s ones. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay um not my specialty but i have seen a few of them yeah well hey you know what you should check out the uh the three from the 90s um dude i think you'd be really impressed yeah i've seen actually like videos of them and i was like wow these actually look really good and then i just always like forget to get around to them but since we have to wait for at least another year or so until the animated gamma show shows up on netflix uh i've got time to kill and hopefully those cameras are available I know the first one is. I think it's on Amazon and it's oh, subtitled. Sweet. Perfect. All right. Well, maybe I got a few more days left in Kaijun. Maybe I'll throw that on uh, at night, you know, hover over one of those smokestacks until I start purring like a kitten and then throw on camera. <laughs> uh, I can't even come up with something funny to say. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time uh, to sit down with me and go over this i'm glad that we got a bonus episode of the show in uh on short notice and i'm glad that i found somebody who not only loves godzilla the way i do but has such a confident history with it uh as well and can enrich my enjoyment of the series and of uh a lot of the details of it as well so thank you very much Hey, thanks absolutely for having me on here. Man, we don't even have to share all this Godzilla stuff on your pod. We can talk personally. Um, I love being here. Can't wait to be back for whatever we do next. 
Thanks again to Nix for taking the time to sit down and talk Godzilla with me. It's always a fun time talking kaiju. And make sure you keep an eye out because he may be popping up again sometime soon to talk about his new project as well. Ad music for this episode was Ronin by Jantrax. And of course, thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to this episode. I know you've got a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts, and I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you do, please consider leaving a rating and telling a friend about it. I'd also love to hear from you, so if you have a bad movie you love and or would like to be a guest on the show, you can contact me on Twitter or Instagram at badmovieswelove, L-U-V. This show is an extension of thescheiss.com, and it is recorded, edited, and produced right here in the home studio by yours truly, and now it's fully integrated in the website, too. So until next time, take care, be well, stay safe, and have fun however you get your movies.